0: Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecator.org. or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brian Atwood, and I'm going to uh, read the word. It comes from Luke 9, 1 through 6. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And for whatever you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the infallible word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't had the uh, opportunity to meet before, my name's Chris and I have the privilege of being one of the leaders here at Renaissance. Before we begin our Bible study this morning, I wanna share a short story with you that I think is going to help us consider what the Lord may be teaching us this morning in the passage that Brian just read. So in the bustling heart of the city there's towering skyscrapers and there's a ceaseless hum of activity. There lived a man named Thomas. Now Thomas he's a creature of comfort, he's a creature of material pursuit. His life it revolved around acquiring possessions, maximizing his physical well-being, ensuring that he was always surrounded by the trappings of his success. His belief in self-reliance was unwavering, believing that his own strength and his own resources were paramount to achieving his goals. So one day, Thomas, he embarked on a business trip. He's packing meticulously everything that he wanted in his luggage, ensuring that he had um, everything he needed to maintain his accustomed level of comfort and self-preservation. However, as he checked into his hotel, his carefully planned world began to unravel because his luggage containing everything that he had packed was nowhere to be found. And so Thomas had a wave of panic rush over him. His meticulously created wardrobe, his chosen gadgets that he brought for his trip, the comfort of his familiar toiletries, all were gone. And so this loss of these material possessions, it triggered a deeper realization for him that his attachment to material security and his unwavering belief in self-reliance had left him vulnerable, had left him dependent on external factors. And so with a heavy heart, Thomas, he began his journey without his belongings. His initial discomfort, his uncertainty were palpable, But as he ventured deeper into the unfamiliar surroundings, a sense of calm began to settle over him. He started to notice the beauty of the natural world that was around him, the warmth of the locals that were gathered, and the simple pleasure that he would have in the meals and conversations that he would share with people. So slowly but surely, Thomas, his focus, it shifted from material possessions to the unexpected kindness of the strangers, And the inner peace that came from letting go of these uh, things he was attached to, these worldly goods, he began to realize that his world didn't fall apart when his material comforts were gone. Instead, he discovered a newfound strength. He discovered resourcefulness within himself. And so as his journey progressed, Thomas began to develop a deeper trust in something greater than himself. And so he realized that his self-reliance, while admirable, in its own right had binded him to the vastness of God's provision and the inherent strength that came from surrendering to God's guidance. And so upon his return to home, Thomas, he carried with himself a new perspective on life. He no longer sought comfort in material acquisitions or possessions, but he found his satisfaction to be in simple pleasures to be meaningful connections, the unwavering belief in God's love and his care. And so his luggage once was a symbol of his self-sufficiency now represented the liberation from material attachment and the embrace of a life that is guided by faith and trust. Now, every single one of us in this room has gone on some kind of trip before. When you think about a trip, you probably can come up with a list of clothing options, belongings, other possessions that you might take for your trip. So real quick, we're gonna do an exercise. Think of three people that you trust. Got them? So those three people, one of those three people is going to pack your luggage for a trip. You're probably feeling pretty confident in the people that you selected, maybe even thinking um, there's a person that you selected that might prank you, (laughs) but you know at the end of the day, this person's gonna pack what you need. Now, what if I told you that there's going to be a person who's going to pack your luggage, but you do not know this person, you do not have any kind of relationship with them whatsoever? I feel like most of us would probably um, not have 100% trust in whoever this random stranger is that's packing for us because they don't know what we need. You might have a sense of trepidation. You might have anxiety that's going through the roof. You might even be that person who's going to cancel your trip because you're like, I'm not trusting this stranger to pack for me. In this text that we're reading today, we see Jesus calling the disciples to detach themselves from relying on what has become their norm, what they're used to, to trust him and allow him to provide for them. So before we begin our Bible study, I just wanna take a moment to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I ask that you help us to have ears to hear, to have eyes to see where you are seeing, we need detachment in our lives so that we can trust you without hesitation and without reservation. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Now, I know it's been a couple weeks since we have been in the book of Luke, so I'm gonna recap it for us real quick over the last several weeks from where we've been. There was a storm on the sea that the disciples and Jesus were in the middle of. The disciples, they were fearing for their life and Jesus has to be wakened from his slumber. And he calms the storm and he reminds the disciples that he has power over storms. And so they, they go ashore and they encounter uh, a man who has been afflicted by demons. And he's healed by Jesus, which is another example of how Jesus has power over demons and over unclean spirits. Jesus and the disciples, they return to Galilee and they find a crowd waiting for him. Jesus heals a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and he raises the daughter of a synagogue ruler from death to life. And that's where we pick up our story today in verse one. Luke writes, And he being Jesus called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So within this first verse, Jesus has two actions. The first is that he called the disciples together. And so he would call the disciples together or the 12 here because the only disciples that were actually present when this girl was raised back to life was Peter, James, and John. And so all these guys have seen Jesus perform miracles and wonders, surely their faith would have been strengthened. Within the Jewish tradition, rabbis would appoint and empower their disciples to extend their teacher's influence. Jesus had invited these these 12 men to follow him as they would learn from their teacher, Jesus. And so his intention for them His intention of calling them was so they would become his disciples. And so his disciples, they would exemplify his character. They would embody his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness, his humility, and not be judgmental. And so their call to follow Jesus, it required their commitment. It required them to have a willingness to learn. It required their active participation in spreading his message. And so for them to carry the message on, we see Jesus's second action in verse one. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And so Jesus, he entrusts the disciples with power, with authority to share the kingdom of God. And so as an influential Jewish teacher, Jesus, he's actively showing them the work that they are going to continue on doing. And so they're told by Jesus that he's giving them power, he's giving them authority over all demons, ability to cure diseases. So after seeing Jesus calm a storm, after seeing Jesus cast demons out of a man, after seeing Jesus raise a woman, um, well, heal a woman from uh, bleeding disorder and a girl who's raised from the dead, we can only imagine how exactly uh, the disciples would have responded in this moment. I wonder though, if their first thought was, I'm more like Jesus now. I don't know if that's the case. I think if we place ourselves in the story as if we were one of the disciples being told this by Jesus, I feel the responses would go more along the lines of, I'm not prepared for this. I don't have what I need. What if I don't have this? Or what if something happens? Or maybe even the, the sentiment of, I will fail because I didn't prepare at all. Regardless of how adequately one thinks they are, if your teacher is Jesus, he gave you something. He gave them the gift of purpose and they are going to live that out on purpose. In verse two, we go on to see that Jesus says, uh, well, it says that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So when they heard this instruction from Jesus on what they're going to do. I would assume they were thinking like all of us probably would. We start considering what am I gonna take on this journey only to be told by Jesus in verse three, take nothing for your journey. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall whenever he told them take nothing for your journey, just to see the shock value on their face. Take nothing. He tells them, I've given you this, so here's what you need to do, take nothing. Jesus wants them to travel light without extra provisions and trust that God is going to provide for them. He's calling them to a place of simplicity that reflects a Jewish concept um, of bitakon, a Hebrew word that means to trust, to be confident, to be at ease based on what has happened up to this point in their journey with Jesus, the disciples' trust in him should be growing, I would say. Their mission, it's not about personal gain. It's not about material possessions, but it's to connect with people. And in that moment, we can only imagine the tension the disciples they faced to place their trust in Jesus and to do what Jesus is saying and take nothing with them. Prior to following Jesus, the disciples, they had different occupations. Four of the disciples, they were fishermen who relied on their ability to catch a haul of fish. This fish that they would catch would provide an income for their family. It would provide provision. Simon was a zealot, meaning he was someone who was looking to overthrow the government. This former politician or revolutionary, whatever you want to call him, he thought if I don't do what I can do to overthrow Rome. Reform is never going to come. Matthew, a tax collector, was seen as a traitor among the Jewish people as he took their money and he gave it to the Roman government. And we can't forget about how the tax collectors, they would take a little more money from people than they were supposed to just to accommodate their greedy materialistic livelihood. So just looking at these six disciples to see how things were for them prior to following Jesus, it tells us one big thing that they would use what they had to produce what they needed. And so now Jesus is asking them to take nothing and to trust him. By taking nothing, they would make themselves vulnerable. They would go on a journey to rely on provision outside of their own control. Are they really making themselves vulnerable though? Isn't it just stuff? Yes, it is just stuff. But stuff can easily consume and distract us from what really matters the most, which is Jesus. To not be consumed or distracted is a decision that the the disciples, they had to make then, and one that we too have to make now. The late author Dallas Willard, he said that the vision of life in the kingdom through reliance upon Jesus makes it possible for us to intend to live in the kingdom as he did. We actually decide to do it. Of course, that means first of all, to trust him, rely on him, to count on him being the anointed one, the Christ. And so making that decision to take nothing was their first step in trusting Jesus. Jesus Goes on in verse three, he says, take nothing for your journey. And he gets into the specifics of saying no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. So to us, those might not really seem like big ticket items that you really need for a trip. But for a person in the first century, each one of these items, they represent a different need that Jesus is wanting them to trust him with. A staff would make walking easier, obviously, but it would also be used as a weapon. The staff was a way to use their own strength, their own resources, to maintain their reliance on self. This journey they would have, uh, they would have to rely on Jesus, the one who provides power, the one who, uh, yeah, the one who's providing for them. The bag is used to carry belongings, obviously. Today, our bags, our suitcases, they carry far more than clothing. They carry far more than toiletries than one really even needs for a trip or even the souvenirs that we have the tendency of packing uh, tight into our suitcase that we don't really need, but, but we want them because they're nice and shiny and desirable, right? But this bag, it represents the worldly possessions and our attachment to material comfort. And so like the disciples, we must detach ourselves from those things to focus on Jesus. He says, don't bring bread. Now, if you're like me, it doesn't take much for you to be hungry. It's obvious that we need food. It's obvious that we need water to survive. But how often are we more reliant on what we can provide through our own efforts instead of doing what we can and allowing God to meet our needs through his grace. He goes on to say, don't bring money. I freak out when I don't have my wallet on me. I've driven back home before because I'm like, I can't drive without my wallet. What if, what if I need to buy something? What if I need to go get gas? While wealth and material gains are helpful and beneficial to us in the short and long term, Our fulfillment, it doesn't come through money. He tells them not to bring money to help them understand that fulfillment is going to come through God and by serving his people. He goes on to say, don't take two tunics. So for one to have multiple tunics or garments, that would show that they have a desire over comfort. He's calling them to embrace vulnerability. He's calling them to embrace discomfort for the sake of the gospel. And so he's asking them the simple question of do you trust me to provide for you? Unfortunately, those possessions, they easily can become more than possessions because of how one can grow attached to these things. Therefore, they become something that is worship. Famous writer Ralph Waldo Emerson says that a person will worship something. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and character. Therefore, it behooves us. That's his fancy word, not mine. um, It just means our responsibility to be careful. To be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Becoming. Today's studies, they show that there is a uh, decline in trust. Why? I'm sure we probably could open the floor to a microphone and give everybody an opportunity to say why people aren't trusting people. But we're reluctant to trust people because of an increase in arrogance, because of an increase in societal issues, isolation, greed, corruption, misinformation, and the list goes on on depending on what study you're actually looking at. But among the handful of studies that I looked at, not just my opinion, I came to the conclusion that the reason for the decline in trust is because of the performance of imperfect people. For some, trust is difficult to earn. It's difficult to maintain. It's difficult to keep, especially when you are used to putting walls up around you, not because, hear me when I say this, you're not putting walls up because you don't like people, that's not it. Some of us, we put walls up as an unintentional defense mechanism in hopes of preventing ourselves from being hurt, from being harmed, from reliving trauma that we've experienced before in the past. And I say that not as a means of condemnation, but as a way to let you know that you're not alone. These 12 disciples that were being called by Jesus to trust him, they had the difficulty of developing the trust muscle this group that was called by Jesus, they had clashing worldviews. You had fishermen, you had some intellectuals. One would be very practical and action-oriented while the other desired philosophical discussion. There were some who had disagreements and distrust because of their social standing, the zealots and tax collectors among many others. And so the 12, they came from various backgrounds that differed they presented competing personalities, they had culture clashes, but despite the conflicts, despite the differences, these 12, they were united in their faith. Jesus united the 12. So by Jesus telling the disciples to take nothing, he's calling them to a place of simplicity where their ability or what they have accumulated is not going to matter, where it's not going to be a distraction for them on this journey. And so they would have to make a decision. Am I going to rely on God to provide for me? One of the ways in which God provides for them is using people to be hospitable for their needs. And Jesus gives them instruction on how they're gonna deal with people on their journey in verse four. He says, whatever, you, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Going on in verse five, he says, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Within Jewish culture, hospitality is greatly valued. If hospitality is refused, it's seen as a serious offense. And when I say hospitality, I don't mean like decorating your home, like Joanna Gaines, Martha Stewart, HDTV, or having the expectation of a perfect home or perfect manners. Jewish hospitality, it was centered around serving. It was centered around caring for others, especially those who were weary. It's easy to make our faith superficial where we can go to church for one hour a week, cross it off our list and leave it there. But we were created for so much more than that. Jesus's mention of uh, Jewish hospitality to the disciples was that they would be building relationships with people, that they would seek support from those that they would encounter that supported them. Christian author, John Mark Comer, he says that the future of the church looks like tables and tacos. I would agree with that statement. I think Jeff agrees with that statement and I'm just gonna go out on the limb and say, I think Jesus would agree with that statement. But to his point of tables and tacos, we have to invite people to sit at the table. We have to be the ones who embody Jesus's compassion, his humility, his grace to people. Similarly to what Jesus shared with them uh, in the parable of the sower, which is when Jesus tells the disciples there will be some who hear the message and their lives are going to be changed for the better while others do not allow the message to take up residence in their heart. Jesus is telling them that on this journey, there's gonna be people who receive you. In the same token, there's gonna be people who don't. And Jesus tells them, shake it off. Oh no, that's Taylor Swift, never mind. Uh, he says, shake off the dust from your feet, my bad. Uh, as a testimony, hopefully there's no Travis Kelsey fans in here, I'm sorry. Um, those are the football jokes. If you don't watch football, I'm sorry. Um, Jesus is telling them that on your journey, though, if you're not received, shake the dust from the town off your feet and keep moving. After returning from a Gentile country, Jewish people would shake dust off their feet as a way to break the ties with the Gentile people. So by telling the disciples to shake off their feet, Jesus is saying that there's going to be some who won't listen or believe. So what do we do? Should we grumble? Should we complain when people don't listen to us? Should we make the great conflict of 2023? No, I like how the late Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage and he just says, shrug your shoulders and move on. After receiving this instruction from Jesus, it says in verse six that they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So for the disciples to do as their teacher was instructing them to do, it required them to trust him, as he told them to take nothing. And that phrase, take nothing, again, probably causes a a lot of anxiety for people. I know it does for me, but that phrase take nothing, it means that one has to become detached from something. And so for them to become disciples to Jesus, Jesus created an opportunity for them to trust him where they had to be vulnerable, where they had to experience discomfort. And so trusting Jesus, it required them it required them to stop relying on what they could do. It required them to embrace what only Jesus could do. It required them to trust him. From when they began to follow Jesus to where they are now, they are continuously learning from him. Their preconceived ideas, their thoughts, their traditions are being challenged daily but they're being exchanged for something better as they practice the way of Jesus. Instead of physical possessions, they will begin to exemplify what matters to the heart of God. Compassion, mercy, forgiveness, humility, just to list a few. Like the disciples, we too have that decision to make to trust Jesus, to be with him as his students. Even if that means stepping into the unknown. But we know that he is ordering our steps. And so trusting Jesus, it requires us to detach ourselves from relying on what we can do to embrace what only he can do. What does it mean for us today? About to begin 2024. Several months ago, uh, the men's Bible study that meets on Tuesday mornings. We began studying the book of Acts and this book, it just highlights a whole lot of things uh, between the beginning of the church to the disciples doing the work that Jesus had spent three years teaching them to the disciples, equipping and empowering other people, doing what Jesus taught them. Learning about what it means to trust God And so my friend, Ryan Cochran, he asked me one day, what do you think the Lord is trying to teach you through this book? And it took me a little bit. It took me a couple days actually to come up with an answer for him. And I told him, I think the Lord is helping me relearn church. And I would say that answer has been refined now after looking at this passage and just spending some time in it. God is helping me to relearn what it means to follow him because we are a gathering of people who have been entrusted with sharing the message of Jesus, not just sharing it when, it when it's comfortable, not just sharing it when it's convenient for us, but making it so it's a part of our DNA for everyday living. For us to do this though, this text gives us a better understanding of what that means to follow. I'm gonna go back real quick to Luke chapter 6, verse 40, to something that Jesus said. He says that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so for a disciple to become like the teacher, the disciple has to spend time being with Jesus. For us to be with Jesus, we have to trust him. We do. And I know that's hard because there's many of us in the room where your trust muscle, it's been damaged or it's very worn down over the years. Christian author, Dr. Henry Cloud said that when someone with a damaged or missing trust muscle tries to use it, it's similar to driving a car down a normal road, such as a relationship or a business deal. And so the car, it begins to vibrate or not even work at all or even steer itself into a ditch. There being all kinds of malfunctions and they can't get where they need to go in life. Trust is hard. Ultimately, until a repair happens, it becomes this constant cycle of patterns that are repeating, where trust is limited or non-existent. Previous experiences have created an unattainable, unhealthy expectation that we place on people, where one wrong move by someone causes that trust muscle to deteriorate. And so when we choose to trust Jesus, when we choose to follow him, we're making that conscious decision to be with Jesus, to surrender ourselves to him. That doesn't mean we have all the answers, but he does. Saying yes to Jesus in our world today means that we're gonna be navigating the tension of a consumer culture that has caused us to take a plunge into the world of things. I don't know if you know this or not, but marketing companies, they constantly are trying to meet and create desires to make you feel dissatisfied with what you have and to make you buy the latest, greatest, whatever. So as we spend time with Jesus through prayer, through worship, through reading the Bible, being with other Jesus followers, shameless plug here, one great way to do that is Rin groups, just saying. But doing all those things, and it's not, hear me when I say this, it's not because we're going down a checklist saying, I did worship, I prayed, that's not what I'm saying. We do those things so that our hearts and our minds begin to reflect Jesus more and more each and every day. Paul, one of the writers in the New Testament, he wrote about how Jesus followers, how they're supposed to have compassionate hearts, how they're supposed to be kind, be humble, be meek, be patient. As we endure life, as we're with others, we forgive people, but most importantly, we put on love because love puts everything in perfect harmony. And so by spending time being with Jesus, the disciple is becoming more like Jesus. Pastor Rich Velotus, he said that the missional task of being Jesus for others is open to all who would follow him. But I would be misleading you if I told you it didn't cost you anything. To say yes to this invitation, it requires you to surrender a way of being on mission that compartmentalizes doing from being, we need to live a life of doing that flows from being. And so for us to live a life of doing that flows from being, we have to become like Jesus. To become like Jesus, we face a non-negotiable. We have to become his students. Another Dallas Willard quote, um, cause he says it a lot better than I do. Uh, he said, we cannot be his students we have no way, if we cannot be his students, we have no way to learn to exist always and everywhere within the riches and power of his word. We can only flounder along as if we were on our own so far as the actual details of our lives are concerned. That is where the multitudes of well-meaning believers find themselves today, but it is not the intent of Jesus who says, come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. So trusting Jesus, it requires us to detach ourselves from relying on what we can do to embrace what he can and what he will do. Becoming a student to Jesus will challenge us. It's going to challenge our way of living. Just as Jesus called the disciples and told them, take nothing because their teacher knew how those possessions were going to be a distraction for their assignment. He knew that by detaching themselves from stuff, they would see that they could trust him. And so as the disciple is becoming more like Jesus, they are doing what Jesus does. Becoming more like him, it starts with trust. For any relationship, that's where it starts, trust working through the gospels and seeing how the disciples are exercising their trust muscle. You can see how they position themselves to learn from their teacher, Jesus. When they trust Jesus and take nothing, they go on to share about the kingdom of God. They see people who embrace a posture of hospitality to serve and care for them. Jesus, he's he's not sending out the disciples in their own power. He's not sending them out in their own ability. He is sending them out to be reliant on him. So will your trust be in possessions? Will your trust be in your talents or your abilities? Or will you trust Jesus? It's a question we have to ask ourselves every single day. By being with Jesus, we become more like him. We become more like him in his character. We're actively doing the work that Jesus has called us to do. We can live out our calling as disciples and experience the abundant life that he has for us. So as we go on into a new year, I'm not going to say, oh, let's go make a New Year's resolution. It's not what I'm saying. If you had one goal for 2024, what would it be? I think right now in in my place of life that I am in, I think I would ask myself, I would make my goal a question. Will your trust in Jesus grow every single day? And that can be hard. You might've gone through 2023 and you might've had, life might've felt like a roller coaster for you. It might not have. But what I do know is this you can trust Jesus, not just because of what I say. We can trust Jesus because of what his word says to us, the experiences that we've had with other people and just hearing about the life change that has happened for people. So I would challenge you, what is it that you need to detach yourself from to embrace Jesus more. Let's pray. Lord, we we surrender ourselves to you this morning. Some of us have trust muscles that are very much deteriorated. Lord, for that one, Lord, I pray that you just surround them with people who are going to help them have community, who are going to help them develop that trust muscle again, but more importantly, draw them closer to you. Lord, you're worthy of our trust In the moments of confusion, Lord, I ask that you give us clarity. I ask that you give us faith. In the moments of despair, Lord, fill us with your hope. Remind us of how we can be faithful to you in all things as we spend time being with you so that we can become more like you and do what you did. Show other people your love, your compassion, your grace. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.